Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
A teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to another episode of Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow and I'm so happy you're here. Today we're gonna to talk about goal writing, but not necessarily goal writing. We're going to talk about things that I think you need to have in place and have really solidly nailed down before you even start to write the goal. So we're gonna talk about things that you need before you write that important IEP goal. So what is the first thing that I think you need before you write an IEP goal? It's accurate present levels. You've heard me talk about this before. The IEP builds upon itself. The IEP document goes in order and this used to drive me crazy when I was a new advocate. Because if I had a parent that was just really, really pushing for inclusion, I would wanna talk about inclusion right in the first five minutes. I would want to talk about educational placement, that least restrictive environment part, right at the beginning. But guess what? It makes sense that we don't talk about it until the end because the IEP has to make sense. It has to build upon itself. And so the first part of the IEP, after we get through the vital statistical information, is those present levels of performance, present levels of academic and functional performance. Your state might call it something similar to that, but, but somewhat different, and that's okay, but it's really important that we know where the child is performing and how the child is performing. Now, those accurate present levels of performance will include lots of different things. It'll include assessment data, what we've got with by way of evaluation data, IEP goal data, where we have been on prior IEPs, maybe information from outside sources like outside evaluations, parent observation, those kinds of things, progress in tutoring even. We're going to take all of that information and assimilate it into something so that we really understand where we are now, and that will probably help us understand where we need to go. And I love it if, while we're kind of foreshadowing to the goals, we talk about the baseline data for those anticipated future goals. Because if we get the baseline data in the current IEP, then we can really track the progress on those new IEP goals. So part of having accurate present levels leads us to the second thing that I think we need to have before we write a goal, and that is accurate assessments. We have to make sure that the assessments that we are running on the child are accurate, that those assessments are correct that we really truly understand what's going on with the child. If we have a child that has dyslexia and the child is fairly young, I don't know anything about the dyslexia unless I really have a good handle on that child's phonological processing capabilities. 
And so I need something that's thorough enough to tell me about how that child processes the phonological component to reading and to language in general. If I have a child that has a cognitive impairment and I have an IQ score, I want to know more about how that IQ score was rendered. I want to know more about how the psychologist or the professional that did that testing thinks that the child actually did because we know that the data and the research says that it's very, very difficult to get an accurate IQ score on a child with a cognitive impairment. So I want to know more about that. And I, want, I might want some anecdotal information or um, some, some general sentences in the present levels of performance that talk about the professional's opinions also. Because if we're just going on an IEQ that is too low or too high or inaccurate, we aren't going to develop good goals for that student. And we're allowed to consider that other information. In fact, we are supposed to consider that other information. I also think before we write a goal that we need really, really good progress reports. We need to know how the child is doing, not only on their IEP goals, but on all of their academic and functional performance. I think we really need to understand where the child is now. And so if you are sitting in an IEP meeting and somebody suggests a new goal, it's really important to know what we did in order to lead up to that new proposed goal. And the way to do that is to look at the old goals or at least to look at how we're performing in that area in order to build into the new goal. We need that baseline information. And so before I sit down to look at any proposed new goals for a client or for my own child, what I'll do is I'll grab the last couple of progress monitoring reports. I'll look at the data. Now, in Kentucky and Ohio, typically progress reports are given kind of in paragraph form. And so um, and in Kentucky and Ohio, most of the time the form kind of defaults to you'll get the parents will get their progress reporting um, in the same time that report cards come out. So they'll get it quarterly. And so I'll ask for the last year's worth of progress monitoring data. And yes, that's helpful to look at it in paragraph form, but the way I really like to look at it is in those graphs. And oftentimes graphs are shown only at IEP meetings and not any other time. And so I'll encourage my clients to see if they can get the graphs before the meeting, simply because I think, and I talk about this a lot when I talk about progress reporting, but I think progress reporting is easier to monitor, it's easier to kind of make sense of if we have those important graphs. And so oftentimes I'll say, you know, this is helpful to look at it. And if I just have it in paragraph form, sometimes I can even kind of jot progress um, there. But typically, if it's in paragraph form, the teachers have averaged the progress. So they might say over the last five times, they're achieving, you know, 68% accuracy or something. And I'm like, well, is that, was that 90, 90, 90, 90, 10? Did that 10 pull a 90 average down really low? You know, and so if you can get into the kind of more nitty gritty data, really look at the trend line, 
really look at the progress, you might be able to find outliers, you might be able to find days that were just kind of bad days or days that were really good days or days when we had um, you know, some external motivator or something like that. And so I think it's really important that we have that progress monitoring data, but that we can make sense of it. And that's why I say we need accurate present levels. We really need to understand the progress monitoring aspect of it. Now, as I said, I don't think it's super important to have progress monitoring data um, that's only for IEP goals. I think it's also important to kind of note progress on proposed goals. So if somebody's pulling a goal out of, um, seemingly out of thin air, a goal that we haven't worked on for a child before, that's great. You know, now we're expanding our curriculum, we're expanding kind of the breadth of our education. But what I want to know is where are we now? And where have we gone in that particular aspect? Is this something that's always been hard? Is this something that was newly introduced? Is this something that's new to this grade level's curriculum? And where are we in this? Put this into context, both in kind of the general education world and then also the student-specific special education world for me so that I understand before we write the goal where the strengths and weaknesses lie and where we kind of are on that goal. That's kind of the whole idea to all of this is we need to understand where we are vis-a-vis -vis gen ed and vis-a-vis -vis the student-specific special ed component of the, whatever the skill is that we're going to be working on with that IEP goal. Okay, so that was number three. Number one was accurate present levels. Number two was accurate assessments. Number three was progress reports. That leads us to number four, classroom data. I always say that my favorite year to advocate for children is in kindergarten because so many of those kindergarten report cards have data that isn't IEP specific. They have data that isn't um, data that we get in other grade levels, quite frankly. You know what I'm talking about. When you get the kindergarten report card, it oftentimes tells you how many letters the child knows, how many capital letters, how many lowercase letters, how many letter sounds the child knows, how far the child can rote count. We get this information that's based on typically the kindergarten curriculum for the state, and it's usually like a front and a back, and, and it's usually like pretty informal. The teacher might just circle letters as the child gets them or misses them, et cetera, et cetera. But that information is so, so vital. I oftentimes say I wish that we kept that up with the other kind of benchmarks, the state benchmarks or kind of like the next benchmarks in reading, the next benchmarks in math, like skills build upon themselves. Why are we not keeping even if it's just quarterly data on that information. Well, there's a solution to that. While schools might not be required to do that, and while it might be, you know, in a, in a pie in the sky unicorn world, it might be best practice to do that. I don't think that we can force that upon schools. And so if you have a unicorn of a teacher, you might suggest it. But we as parents can do that at home. 
on your state's website, your State Department of Ed website, you can find the curriculum for each grade level. You can find the science curriculum for first, second, third, fourth, fifth grades, etc. You can find the social studies and the language arts and the math curricula. And you can download those. And what you might have to do is you might have to go backwards to find where your child is now, you know, and your child might have some fourth grade skills, some fifth grade skills and some eighth grade skills, and that's all okay. But the curriculum should build upon itself. And so what you should be able to do is you should be able to very informally assess your child to see where your child is on those skills. And that information can be super helpful to help you fill in the gaps, to help you identify areas of need, because those goals address areas of need. And so if you can identify the gaps or if you can identify even the next place that your child should be, the next skill that your child should be learning, then you can suggest goals in those areas. Now, I'm going to issue a very, very serious warning here. Don't go overboard. <laughs> the first time I suggested this to a parent, um, the parent went entirely overboard and came in and was going to suggest like 25 goals. We don't want that many goals. In fact, I'm kind of a proponent of fewer goals rather than many, many, many goals. And maybe I'll do a podcast on that at some point. We don't want too many goals. We want to work on what is um, kind of what we can prioritize. So yes, it might you might develop a list of 25 skills that you think your child needs to work on. And then you might say, okay, which one of these are gonna get hit in general education? And which one of these that remain do I want to prioritize for this year? What can I work on outside of school? What can I work on in the community? What can I work on in private tutoring, et cetera, et cetera? Because if we have too many goals, I'll just say this in general, and then maybe I will do a whole podcast on this. If we have too many goals, then our child is just constantly inundated with that specially designed instruction and doesn't get a whole lot of access to gen ed. The more goals we have, the more special education kind of work, specific work that we have to do, and that can affect lots of things, including educational placement, least restrictive environment. So we need that data. We need that classroom data. What is happening in the classroom and what's happening kind of vis-a-vis -vis the general education world? That is number four. Now I've alluded to number five already, clear baselines. Any goal that is suggested, I would love for this to be written in present levels, but even if it isn't written in present levels, I think it's super important someplace to document the baseline. If we are suggesting a new goal, it is very important to know where we are starting. It is very important to know where the starting line is. You know, on social media, I oftentimes talk about this new, um, I'm not even going to call it a habit or a skill or sport because um, while I am getting better, I don't know that I will ever identify as a runner. <laughs> so let's just say I oftentimes talk about my intro to running um, and I have a, a long um, kind of storied history with wanting to be a runner. I don't know that I will ever identify as a runner, but um, I'm, I'm having a go at running. 
And so let's take an example of running. I am 43 years old and I just started running ostensibly for the first time in my life. And so if I set out on day one of running at 43 years old, having never run further than like the mile that you had to do in sixth grade, um, and said, I want to run three miles at an eight minute per mile pace within the next two months. I would have been crazy. How could I do that without knowing where I am now? I'll tell you, today I'm recording this on November 29th, and I started running, I think around April 1st, so I'm about seven months into my running journey, and I am just now able to run three miles at somewhere in the 11s, and by somewhere in the 11s, I mean like 11.50, like a 12-minute mile pace. And that's okay, it actually I've made wonderful progress because I started in the high 13 minute mile pace, like basically almost walking. And so I know that I've made progress and I know that my progress is slow but steady and good enough for me because I knew my baseline. Because I ran for about a month and I started to take the data that my Apple Watch takes for me before I said, gosh, I think it would be great to run three miles. And so my first goal was a distance goal because I didn't care about the time yet. I knew from that baseline information that I couldn't care about the time, that I had to care about the duration. I had to care about the distance that I was running. And so I built up to three miles and then I started trying to go a little bit faster and a little bit faster. I needed that baseline data in order to make reasonable goals. And in IEP world and special education, we are making annual goals. So it's super important that as we plan for an entire year, that we know where we start. We can't make goals unless we know where we are. And it's very important, therefore, that we have that baseline data. And then number six, which I think is super, super, super duper important, the big mama of importance, is really knowing our students' strengths and weaknesses. Because we can't develop goals unless we know how we're going to teach them kind of sideways, just smacked right up against the goals is the specially designed instruction. How are we going to teach the child in order to help the child make progress on these goals? And we can't do that unless we know the child's profile, unless we know this, the child's strengths. So if you aren't watching this on YouTube, pretend that I have my the bottom of my hand sitting like an oyster shell and the top of my hand is going to be the top of the oyster shell. And so I'm kind of cupping the pearl with my hand on the bottom and my other hand on the top. And now I've made what you probably think of not so much as an oyster shell, but as a clam shell, right? And it kind of can hinge in the middle at my wrists. And so what we do in special education is we support the child's needs. That's the bottom shell. We support the child's needs. We identify the needs, and then we support them 
and we teach them, we capitalize on their strengths and that's the top shell. So we, we put the pearl in the middle, the strengths, I'm sorry, the needs, and we, we cup those and then we address them with the child's strengths. So we need to know, is the child super duper good at writing? And is the child super motivated by writing? If so, then we need a curriculum to address areas of need that are going to capitalize on the child's ability to express him or herself in writing. Is the child super duper good at um, oral, oral stuff, but not good at writing and not good at, um, at um, you know, some identified area of need? Okay, well then what we need to do is we need to find a way that the child can learn in an oral manner, not on the computer, not by reading. We need for the child to be able to take the information in by auditory means, somehow being taught. What's that look like? Do we need to get a book on tape, for example? And that book on tape is an old way of saying <laughs> some kind of electronic means. So we're capitalizing on the child's strengths, their profile, and we're addressing their needs. That's kind of the heart of special education. And so unless we know the child's strengths and weaknesses, we can't do that. We can't really hit what we are trying to hit. We can't, we won't hit it on the mark unless we identify those strengths and weaknesses. So there you have it. Those are six things that I think you should have before you write a goal. I'm gonna go through them one last time. Accurate present levels, accurate assessments, progress reports, classroom data, clear baselines, and student strengths and weaknesses. Go out there and write some good goals. I can't wait to hear about all of the progress that your children are making. Make sure to stay in touch. I love to hear your success stories and I'm getting more and more of them as the weeks go by. I'll see you next week, same time, same place.